Welcome to another episode of Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Vanessa Rose, the Executive Director of the American Composers Forum, and Melissa Nahn, the President and CEO of the American Composers Orchestra and a faculty member of Eastman's Master of Arts in Music Leadership degree. These two Eastman alumni are working in their roles to advocate for composers, and in this episode, discuss the digital resource Anatomy of a Commission. This project is a collaborative endeavor by the ACF and ACO, along with National Sawdust, and was a recipient of a Paul R. Judy Center for Innovation and Research grant. At the time of this conversation, the online resource was just released, and, as you'll hear, we'll continue to have new resources available online for both composers and those seeking to commission new works. I think you'll find this conversation intriguing, and hope you enjoy! So, Vanessa, I'll start with you. You are the executive director of the American Composers Forum. If you wouldn't mind, can you just share a little bit about yourself and how you got into that role? Well, sure. Thanks. So um, uh, I went to Eastman as a violinist. I studied violin for a while, freelancing, thought I was going to play an orchestra and uh, fell into administration somewhat by accident and realized this is where I could really make a difference. And uh, a wide range of positions and career curves that I won't go into, but ultimately it enabled me to work with a number of different composers and playwrights and various creatives along the way. And I realized uh, just how not only fun it was to be part of this creative process, but also how incredibly uh, vital it is to be supporting the work of today and the creative people who make art today. So Ultimately, I ended up actually first on a, on the board and then being hired in this role now four and a half years ago, um, moved from New York to Minnesota um, to take on the role. And um, this was 2019. So before a lot of changes occurred in all of our lives, but it was also just an incredible platform to be able to navigate what happened in 2020. And I would say in addition to the pandemic, being in Minnesota only I, for me personally, my home is a couple miles away from where George Floyd was murdered and thinking about what it means to be a member of this community, what it means to be in the arts and what it means for music to actually uh, define this moment and, and help us uh, express this, this time in our lives to help us come together, to help us understand different perspectives and stories. And that has been really how we've approached the work at American Composers Forum even before all of this happened, but helped to really just put it into clear focus as to why this was needed and why our work together with wonderful partners like American Composers Orchestra are necessary. Well, thanks. And that's a great segue here. So the, we have also the president and CEO of the American Composers Orchestra, Melissa Nan. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into your current role? Yeah, absolutely. So a similar situation to Vanessa, I went to Eastman, I studied flute. I was in the arts leadership program probably in its fifth year or so. And I took so many classes, they told me to stop because it was starting to get unhealthy. Um, and, you know, from there, I played in orchestras. I taught on the college level. I played chamber music started my own chamber ensemble in Chicago. And similarly, through all those experiences, had the opportunity to get to know a lot of composers and really become curious about how new music can be used as a vehicle for personal and community transformation. And so a lot of what I did with Fifth House Ensemble, which was my own organization that I founded, was really to understand that intersection. And for me, what one of the things that was really interesting was towards the end of my time there, I started to get asked to do a lot more consulting work and projects with 
orchestras, opera companies, conservatories, universities. And so when the role with ACO came open, it sort of came at this opportune moment, which, you know, Vanessa mentioned what changed in so many of our lives around 2020, you know, for us to really understand that the field was kind of listening for the first time in new ways, because the status quo was not available to us in terms of how music was being presented on stages. And also, there was a renewed focus on transparency in terms of representation and what the purpose of our music making is. You know, it became a moment where I thought, okay, so for the first time since I've been alive, perhaps there is something in what I've been experimenting with in my sort of all or more renegade ways that could be useful to the broader field. So I was attracted to the position at ACO because it had this dual focus between the performance of an orchestra in Carnegie Hall um, and working with composers on stages and also the sort of advocacy and service focus of working to create relationships between composers and orchestras nationwide and broaden the embrace around who we consider to be American composers and what we consider American orchestral music to be. So this project here, The Anatomy of a Commission, this was uh, you know, uh, funded in part by the Paul R. Judy Center grants. Vanessa, could you just tell us in broad terms what this is and how might somebody access it? Sure. So the genesis of this is really, really capturing what what Melissa and I have already started to describe, you know, this moment that we're in, the, the need, the value of uh, music creators, composers today, and understanding that there's so much nuance, there's so many layers in, in every scenario, and there, I mean, there always has been. It's heightened now because of this new attention. And we're also seeing, you know, everything from people working with composers for the first time to people um, working with composers that uh, like not having worked with any composers and then people also working with composers that they don't have a relationship with. We're also seeing in an effort to make, you know, necessary changes in programming and representation, a lot of mistakes just because of lack of experience, lack of information, lack of awareness. So while there's been some really wonderful resources already created over the years by Meet the Composer and others, we saw the need for something to be more specific to this day and age today um, and wanting to have it be flexible for a number of different scenarios, not prescriptive. We're not lawyers, right? We don't want to pretend that there's a one size fits all. And that's the point. It's very personal. So the components of anatomy of a commission, we hope will offer both just information for not only the composers, but also those working with composers. And those are the people who are doing the commission as, you know, programmers, people who are funding the commission, people who are attending the commission, um, really recognizing that all of these roles are, are important in the ecosystem. So this discussion guide that the, the, the Judy, the Pollard Judy Center um, helped to fund is the, the first kind of, you know, really tangible component of it that has what a discussion guide is what we're calling it. So again, it's not a template, like this is everything that everybody should be doing, but here are some points. And Ari Solotov, who's a member of the faculty for IML is the, the main architect of it that really offers different points that we recommend you consider may or may not apply to you that we hope also gives people just more information about what conversations we hope will take place before, during, and after. We think about it as five different phases, actually, in, in that, that whole process, coupled by articles written by artists, as well as what will be coming out later, filmed conversations between composers and other folks that I've mentioned in the ecosystem. Again, just sharing examples, sharing what does work, not only what we shouldn't be doing, but what we 
could do and could you know benefit everybody to en enable a more equitable and positive experience. Um, and then I'll let Melissa talk about more of the components that she's working on as well. And we just see it as very complementary and hopefully wherever you're entering into this uh, conversation or just you know this experience, uh, it can be helpful to you. Yeah, Melissa, let's hear from you, please, about some of the experiences, some of the conversations you've had with composers and those engaged in composing and commissioning projects that brought about the need for this resource. Yeah, and first of all, I have to truly credit Vanessa, who I consider to be one of the most brilliant people in this field. I'm just going to be her publicist for a moment and just say, I think this is a fantastic idea. And one of the things that's been really special for me to watch that American Composers Forum has been doing has been really to be understanding what an artist-centric approach to this field would look like. You know what I mean? And that in very simple terms is what's going on with these resources. I think that all of us saw that in response to all of the events of 2020, representation was of course top of mind. And in some cases, it was a continuation of what orgs, organizations had been doing for some time. In many cases, it was a new or renewed focus with some urgency, <laughs> let's put it that way. And sometimes what people would do is the most easily accessible thing. They would reprogram an existing work. They would play a lot of Florence Price and Porgy and Bess. And not to say those are bad things, but just to note that there, when we looked at the data around what orchestras were programming since 2020, there was a lot of congratulations about the fact that there were more women and more people of color since that time. However, if you drill down into the data and you look at the top five performed people of color, every single one of them was dead. So what that tells you is that people were reprogramming. They weren't as much in the sort of commissioning space in terms of the, the repeat performances side, in terms of scale. So a lot of what this set of resources aims to do is, first of all, to demystify that process and update it, because a lot of the resources that were out there had been out there for a long time. And then second of all, to recognize that there's a layer beyond diversity that we really need to think about. When we start thinking about equity and inclusion, we're not just talking about are people being invited? Are they being represented on stages? We're talking about what happens when they get there? What is the process? What is the financial path? How do you follow the money in these conversations? And what does that say? So part of this is also making sure that those items end up baked into the conversation as well. For people who both may be very experienced at this, but just need a bit of an update in terms of how the field has evolved in media rights and all the many things that have been changing about it. And also for those who might be newer to the conversation to simply have resources to follow as they're beginning a new project with a composer or with an arts organization um, and setting forth on a path. So one of the things that um, I also have to credit Alicia Lawyer, who runs ROCO, a fantastic orchestra in Texas that should be a model for us all about how to run a chamber orchestra in so many ways. You know, she had this idea, what if we were to have this national consortium commissioning hub? And, you know, I was like, hey, you know what, actually, I've been thinking about doing something kind of like that on our website. Um, we have a developer in place that we're working with. Would it be okay if we actually made this as a digital online resource? And she was like, sure, yes, go. So um, so we're really excited to partner with her as well on that piece of it. Basically, what that turns into is the nation's first, as far as I'm aware, consortium commissioning hub, which allows for any orchestra or composer that is working on a consortium commission, which means that multiple orchestras are banding together to commission one composer, and that composer is both receiving a combined fee and multiple guaranteed performances out of that to address that systemic issue we were talking about of the 
one and done. And it allows those projects to find new partners. Because at this point, if you're an orchestra or if you're a composer and you're working on a consortium, it's a very who do you know, one to one kind of relationship building conversation. There hasn't really been one clearinghouse space where you could go and say, hey, here's what's being worked on or thought about right now. And our hope is that that becomes that place that people come to to see what projects they can hop on with in the field. And that also creates more of an opportunity for orchestras that might have more limited budgets to access commissioning as a model and composers without having to shoulder a 100% of the cost. And just for our listeners who may not know, when you cite ROCO, are you talking about the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra? Yes. And actually, they have changed to just be ROCO oh, um, okay. at this point. Yeah, they adopted their acronym as their real name. This this space inter- on the internet for, for folks to gather, how do we find it? Yeah, so right now it is in beta, and we tested it at the League of American Orchestras conference. Um, pretty soon, there will be a link inside of the Anatomy of a Commission page that anybody can access once we work out a couple of bugs that we found there. And it's essentially a discussion board. So anybody can log in, create a profile, post a project. We will moderate it, of course. Um, and then it um, anyone can also log in and see what projects are available um, and sign up with their interests to join. So, Vanessa, I'm going to come back to you for a moment. As um, the entirety of the project, Anatomy of a Commission, kind of came together, um, how did that project begin to evolve? Was this something that, you know, kind of came to you or did you kind of, was this something that evolved in collaboration with the partners that you have on the project? Uh, All the above, as you can hear. Melissa is amazing. And as you can tell, we have great adoration for each other. And also our organizations are so much in alignment. We do, we've done other partnerships together. And I think um, we are really lucky in that there are some, Roco included, you know, there's some really amazing allies, I would say, in this work. And we we try to talk as often as possible because I think working together enables us to do even more amazing things. And with this pro- program too, I think it it was really just over time seeing patterns, seeing a gap, seeing a need, having lots and lots of conversations. Melissa and I definitely talked about this many times. And then just trying to figure out, so what does it look like? What does it mean? What can we put together? What's the funding, you know, to, to enable us to push us over the, you know, the, the finish line. And I think uh, even now I see this as this is a pilot. This is like a first year. This is what we've committed to. And I absolutely can see different iterations of this continuing as we get feedback from people. We welcome feedback from everybody, by the way, um, because this is meant to be a resource for, again, multiple people, depending on where you are entering into the the conversation. And it's only going to be as helpful as it is, you know, informed by the community. So, um, yeah, I would say it was, it was iterative. It continues to be and fortunate that we have a lot of people with aligned values that really want to be a part of it. Is it a fair assessment too, then to say that kind of in the same vein, there's a lot of different folks involved in creating this, um, that there's a very wide audience for it too, then that there's going to be resources and spaces on the internet here for folks that are engaged in commissioning projects at different levels. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and I can say from ACF's perspective, we have a help desk and we get questions from you know, it's private individuals that want to commission for an anniversary. We have ensembles who ask for advice. We have opportunities listings also for composers. So we're all, often having conversations with various 
presenting organizations, programmers about how to find composers, how to do a call for scores equitably, you know, all of these different components. So it's, it's something we're already navigating. And again, because we saw it come up so often and then hearing so much from different composers about their experiences um, really helped us identify where the greatest needs were. And I want to say National Sawdust being a partner in this is helpful too, because orchestras you know, are often a focus of these conversations. And of course, American Composers Orchestra, you know, navigating a lot of that too. And also, obviously, this is not, you know, only for orchestras. We hope even the discussion guide can have multiple iterations that are not only for different ensembles or different multimedia or multidisciplinary um, engagements. Also, we hope to start to navigate what happens when you're working in different cultural traditions. So what if you're trying to create a written work with somebody who works in oral traditions? What are those implications? What? How can you be culturally sensitive? How can you recognize their work? How can you be uh, thoughtful about what the copyright implications might be? I mean, there's so many different iterations of this. I hope we can delve further into because again, there's just a lot of, there are a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of, people don't know what they don't know. And we wanna ensure that there's just more that transparency as Melissa mentioned and, and good good experiences. Looking to gain experience in the Rochester area? Visit the IML's Gig Service and Job Opportunities Board. Find freelance opportunities on the Gig Service and explore local part-time and full-time jobs on the Job and Opportunities Board. Head over to the IML website to get paid. For more information, visit us at the IML office or email us at iml.esm.rochester.edu. There were students from the Eastman's uh, Master of Arts and Music Leadership degree that were involved in the early stages of this. Could you talk a little bit about how those students were initially involved and supported this project development? I can. So um, I came to the the group with more, this is the environment I'm seeing. Here's some of the things we're thinking about doing. Um, I'm not sure just what the business model is. Like, what does this actually look like? And we worked together on on setting the the landscape. You know, they did a number of different interviews with composers and other people to um, just ask, is this something that would be helpful to you? What are your experiences that we should be thinking about as we're trying to create these resources? And not surprisingly, it was very consistently enthusiastic. Yes, we need something like this. And I have so many questions. And and I even hearing from composers and composers are working with large ensembles and, you know, already building quite a career um, with commissions, having such little knowledge and information about what was happening on the other side of the table. Like, what are the things that programmers are thinking about? What are the pressures of an orchestral artistic administrator, for example? And, um, you know, even quite advanced in their careers, there's still a lot of inquiry and, and you know, lack of, of information. So, um, so they helped really navigate that and then putting together a model. They showed me some really great ideas about design and branding and different ideas of different YouTube videos and what might be helpful to create just a really consistent you know, brand for this, as well as some funding ideas. We talked a lot about how you roll something like this out when you have like what comes first, you know? I mean, ideally you have all the money and then you can, you know, put it together, but you also need to have a very clear concept to be able to get the money. So, you know, we talked a lot about those things. So they were just so helpful in putting more tangible components together with a time frame, with a budget, um, so that we could really then, you know, 
make it happen. So I'm, I'm grateful. And Melissa and Daniel Bernard Remain also um, met with them as a group. They presented their information to them. So um, Daniel being a composer was also really helpful in, in offering feedback. So at the time that we're talking, the website is live, the discussion guide is is live. So I'd be curious, what has the conversation been like now that this resource exists? What kind of feedback are you getting from people now that they're able to interact and engage with this um, platform? I'll say, number one, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Um, and I'm not a composer, to be clear. I only work and you know advocate and cheerlead for them. But I, I have found it just so interesting. There's so many different components, like from the PRO's perspective, um, like we had uh, Deidre Chadwick, also an Eastman alum from uh, BMI to take a look at this and, and you know, think about, again, the, the, the assumptions or the things that people don't realize they should be making sure that there's a PRO, you know, who's who should be uh, notified about this. And I have only been met with great enthusiasm from everybody um, involved, not only composers, and um, really excited to be able to continue to roll this out and uh, we did also just post the a webinar with Ari Salatov, the lawyer, again, um, walking through the discussion guide to really give more of that insight. And we'll continue to do, um, we're hoping every month to have a new component to be able to announce. So it's been incredibly um, successful from our perspective. That's great. And yes, uh, as as mentioned, Ari Solotov is one of the faculty members of Eastman's Master of Arts and Music Leadership degree and teaches the, the law class and is also on the faculty of the Eastman Leadership Boot Camp. I also re recall in your plans that there's going to be um, kind of office hour time with Ari, if, if that's correct. Uh, when might that be something that people can begin to access? Yeah, we'll, we'll be making an announcement when we have that better defined. We want to do um, complimentary, both some just open, like just access the call and, you know, it can be more public um, people coming with pre-planned questions as well as one-on-one -on -one as needed. I know that there's going to be only so much we can offer. There, there are endless questions and Ari is just an amazing, thoughtful, knowledgeable person uh, who works with a lot of composers, but uh, we're hoping that some of the like frequently asked questions we can address and as things come up again, you know, through help desk and other means, if we see the need for an additional resource to be created, we'll, we'll certainly do that too. And could you describe for us a little bit about the articles? What could a reader expect from an article? Yeah, sure. So um, some are already published and, and they're more ahead, but um, these are primarily coming from the artist's perspective at the moment from composers and they've covered everything from, you know, commissioning 101 and things to be aware of when you're approaching a composer to thinking about fees, you know, that's a huge conversation. And again, not one size fits all at all, but here are some considerations, here are some questions to be asking, here's a larger context for you to be looking at. And then uh, the next one that's also coming up will be about collaboration. Um, so again, just trying to offer more transparency. These are very personalized accounts from a particular artist's perspective, but hopefully the, the composite of all of these different you know, narratives helps really paint um, just a clear picture with more context for everybody. Have you found that composers have been very willing to write these and share their stories, share some of their experiences? Or throughout this, have you found that maybe because of past challenges or composers sometimes a little reluctant to actually engage in some of these conversations if they've maybe been, you know, maybe a little burned in the past from poor experiences? Well, let's be clear, there is a very real power dynamic, and I encourage Melissa to contribute to this too. Composers, even with a manager, publisher, 
are are not in the position of power equal to the the person with the opportunity, right? And so in many, most cases, I would say there is a reluctance to speak out or even just to say, could I have more time? Or would it be possible to have a rehearsal, you know, an extra rehearsal? I mean, there are things that I think are very difficult for composers. I mean, it's just not a great position to be in, period. And I think our existence at ACF and and with our allies is to ensure that there's the greater awareness of these challenges to composers that one might not consider. Like if you're asking them to submit the score a month earlier, that's a huge ask you know, for a composer that you might not be thinking about as somebody who's like working on a lot of different deadlines and, and other items. And I think, again, just that need for transparency across, you know, everybody involved and, and similar for a composer to understand a little bit more about where their, um, you know, their partner, the collaborator is coming from helps them to walk into those conversations too and negotiate as well. I think there's just more awareness needed, more investment needed in those relationships. And the reality is, is that it is not, um, it's not easy for composers. Some have been quite courageous in speaking out and being public about it. And that's to their detriment sometimes. And they've really taken the chance to do that for the sake of not only, you know, their art, but, you know, their community. So I hope those of us like the ACF organization and others who are in that kind of a third party uh, position, I hope we can be helpful in, in navigating some of that because, you know, I, I'm not trying to get a commission myself, right? I can, I can speak out and try to try to raise awareness at minimum and hopefully create better situations, but I'll let Melissa share her own perspective. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I just want to underline everything that was just said, you know, there is no musicians union for composers. Composers are not employees. It's not a stable situation for them. And there's often little to very note, no transparency whatsoever in terms of what the fees are, what the deal terms are. It's black boxed most of the time on purpose because those agreements are confidential. So if you're a composer that's early in their career or is in a growth pattern and is accessing different types of opportunities for the first time, there are very few places for you to actually find out what's normal. And you consider what normal to be with to be whatever someone is giving you at that moment or whatever patterns you see. With that being said, I also have heard the commissioning process described as a relay race. And I think that that metaphor is pretty accurate from the perspective that, you know, at the very beginning, the person with the opportunity is holding the baton. They've got the power. They're deciding who they're going to commission. And it's really their decision making process. Once that contract is signed and it goes to this perspective of the composer, in a traditional agreement, the composer now has the baton. The person who is commissioned may have had some conversation with that person about what they're hoping for, the duration, the instrumentation, what style, like all of these various things, or they may have left certain things kind of open in terms of what the actual piece is. But at that point, the composer can decide what they're going to do. And the commissioner at that point will have put a lot of resource into, okay, this is where the piece is going to be performed. It's on this venue. Here's what the money is. We're hiring the performers. Like, this is the date. Here's the publicity. And then for the composer also to understand, well, there's a scenario of if the commissioner asks you to be a month early, what if the composer is a month late? Like, or what if the composer decides, hey, this is a 15 minute piece, but as a gift, I'm going to make it 36. That may produce a scenario where that piece can no longer be performed on that program because there's overtime. So that's a place where the composer has a lot of power. The piece is then delivered to the performer or to the ensemble or organization. 
And then they have the power again, because as a composer once told me, I could be sitting in my seat in the first row and that violinist could stand up there and play happy birthday and say it's my music and I would have no control over that. So I'm sort of describing things in the most extreme of terms, but just to kind of say that in a traditional process, it kind of flows from person to person. Now, what I think is great about what this effort seeks to do is really to make that process as transparent, open, and collaborative as possible so that the divisions between people at those stages become less because there's more clear communication happening and everyone ends up flowing in the same direction. Thank you for describing that in such great terms because both of you... Uh, are in that position to be able to advocate for composers. And you, of course, you know, cite some of the challenges they seek very well. And of course, also it kind of underscores and highlights how exclusive our profession can be sometime to be musicians. And if you have that privilege to maybe be in those inner circles, it, you know, gives you some of that advantage over the folks who don't have that. And it certainly sounds like this project helps to demystify a little bit, helps to uh, make sure that everyone can access very quality information. So if there are composers who maybe have some stories to share, have some experience that they'd like to tell and can contribute, um, how might they go about doing that? Contact us at uh, ACF for sure. Um, I mean, the easiest might be just through the help desk, but you can see our staff listing. Carolina Herdia is an amazing composer and, and member of our staff who is also contributing greatly to this, um, as is Oswald Hewn, another composer and a member of the ACO family who's on our team. So you know, we have a lot of people contributing to this and, and welcome learning more about the experiences that should be lifted up that you know we can address in this resource. As I said, there's there are numerous ways that we can approach this and, and grateful that we're able to have some you know amazing partners uh, contribute to this as well. So what's next for the Anatomy of Commission? What are some things that you're working on and thinking about that might become available in the future? Sure. Well, the um, co-commissioning hub I'm very excited about. So hopefully that'll be coming out in the next couple months, maybe before this is aired. Another thing that we hope will be possible is with the discussion guide, uh, again, different versions of that, depending on different scenarios, maybe even um, uh, updating the contract templates in a way kind of like LegalZoom, where you can um, insert certain customized fields and have a version. Again, we're not <laughs> offering prescriptive advice, but a version of the template that could be useful to you as you're entering into various conversations, again, from either side, composer or commissioner. And just make it as easy as possible to figure out the legalese and the various components that need to be a component of those written agreements. And I'm excited about the various filmed conversations that we're going to be doing with National Sawdust that also will, I hope, bring in just more nuance, you know, to that dialogue and offer a variety of different situations that hopefully will be applicable. Just before we, uh, you know, leave this topic here, can you just remind us how do folks access the anatomy of a commissioned resource? composersforum.org is our website. It's right there on the homepage. Fantastic. So both of you are Eastman alumni, and I always love to ask our alumni, what are some of their favorite memories of their time at Eastman? So Melissa, why don't we go ahead and start with you? What are some of your fondest memories of your time being a student at Eastman? Oh my gosh, um, there are so many, to be honest. I would say that a very fond memory I have is that I studied with Bonnie Boyd, who is wonderful like the earth mother. And I, one of the things I really loved about her is that she had us do a recital every semester that we were in school. And because I'm an overachiever, I also did a chamber recital as well, almost every semester, because 
it turns out that I was studying for the career I wanted to have and not knowing it. And one of my favorite recitals I ever did was the day after Halloween. And it was me and a guitarist. And we decided to do all of these pieces, which had a, a number of like barnyard animal outfits showing up because everyone on my floor had them from Halloween. So there was like a two person dancing bull. There was like a cow, there was a turkey. I mean, I think people were really wondering if we were okay, but it was a fantastic experience. And I love that Eastman is a place where you can do that. <laughs> so um, so I, I just really loved that. I love the fact that I could produce, you know, weird shows, whether it was that or, you know, other things that other friends of mine had dreamed up. And there was always a space for that kind of imagination. You know, hearing that story made me think of memories I forgot about. It's so fun. I remember doing um, somebody's recital. We did The Devil Went Down to Georgia and I was wearing black fishnet stockings and I was the devil. It was great. So many things. I think what was so memorable about Eastman was the community. I actually transferred there from Indiana University, which was also a wonderful experience, but very different. And um, just the closeness of the community also because we were all in this. It's changed a lot, but, you know, we we didn't leave the campus too often. Um outside of the Eastman area. And I just so valued the many different artists I was able to spend time with. And one of the, the things that stuck out to me that I think really still shapes how I think about the art I'm involved with today is um, were the PRISM concerts. And I don't know how long those were, if they were still there when you were there, Melissa, but this idea of, you know, these different musical events flowing into each other and even influencing each other. And it wasn't this silo like, we're going to do the orchestra now, we're going to do classic, you know, it was really thinking much more broadly and contextually about music as a medium, you know, irrelevant of genre or, you know, being in these certain spaces. It was all in the same space as Eastman Theater, and they were like different stages that were taking place uh, throughout the theater. And I just love that idea of, um, being influenced by these different art forms in, in one event. Vanessa, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Today's episode of Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians, was produced by Kelly Jutsum. The music was written and produced by Will Jay, and the artwork designed by Joyce Sen. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in the podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML, I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next time.